This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Right. Uh, I've been here last year, so some of you will remember that I was here last year, and so thank you for inviting me again to be here and speak this morning. Um, as I walked in, I checked up how much time do I have to speak. So I was told 25 minutes, which was good to know. Because in India, if somebody invites you to speak and then you ask, you go to the church and you ask, how long should I speak? The first thing they will say is, brother, as the spirit leads you, go ahead and speak. <laughs> and I could be very dangerous in India. <laughs> So I'm glad that I was told 25 minutes and uh, two things I want to say this. Um, they have somebody who has these cards and we were in Orlando, uh, the same thing. And they had this lovely, when it's green, you're fine. When it's amber or orange, you're on danger zone. And when it's red, you're out completely. That's what they showed us in the conference. And I told them this. Green orange and red are traffic signals and they are also good suggestions in India. <laughs> you don't necessarily need to follow them. They are good suggestions. <laughs> we were driving down, me and my wife and two of the students, we were driving down and just at the signal before we got off the main road, it was red and we were stopping and my wife told me, there's nobody on the road and why are people just stopping? We can just go. <laughs> There's absolutely nobody on the road. This is South Africa. <laughs> in India, we said before 7 o'clock in the morning or before 7.30 in the morning, traffic signals do not mean anything in India. Of course, even otherwise it does not. But it's, you know, uh, so it's good, good to be here. Um, and we hope it will be fine. Um, the topic that I was given this morning is discipling the generations, discipling the future, the next generation. Really good topic. Some of you will know cricket, South Africa cricket. Um, the World Cup just finished. And we had an amazing World Cup. In one of those, you know, one of those matches, there was Ian Bishop, who's a West Indian fast bowler, former West Indian fast bowler. He was talking with Sir Vivian Richards, another great of the cricket world. One of the best batsmen the world has ever produced, Vivian Richards. They were talking together before the game. And Ian Bishop made this comment to Vivian Richards and he said, you know what? I wish there was somebody who could walk with our young players. I wish somebody would take up the responsibility to mentor and to walk with our young West Indian players. Now, the West Indian players have a bunch of really talented, good guys. Very good players coming up. In five years, they will be really good. And so they had a bunch of good guys who played well, but they did not move, they did not move up in the World Cup. And so here's Ian Bishop telling Vivian Richards, I wish somebody would mentor these guys. And so I wish somebody would walk with them so that they can learn about life. And so Vivian Richards, he's been knighted. This great guy says, you know what? I really wish somebody could walk with them. Somebody could walk with them at this stage of their life because they are young, they are talented, they are popular, they've got money, but they don't know how to live life. They don't know how to live life. 
And that was the comment that really came from the cricket world. And it means a lot this morning as we look at the Bible. How important it is for us to have somebody walking with people, young people especially. If we have to disciple the next generation. Let me make some introductory comments on this. Multiplication of the kingdom DNA carries through all of discipleship. Multiplication of kingdom DNA carriers happens through discipleship. I don't know if it's too complicated, but it simply means that we need to have people who are kingdom DNA carriers multiplying more and more so that the kingdom of God will grow. Churches, and this is another comment, second one. Churches will not engage in discipleship. I don't know about your church, and I know that discipleship is a big part of your vision. I go to a church, a Methodist church, very famous, quite popular in our city and all over our nation. We've been around for 150 years, but I see zero discipleship in my church. My church has never talked about discipleship. There is not one young person in our church who has been discipled by somebody else. You might get discipleship outside the four walls of your church, but never in Emmanuel Methodist Church, one of the best churches in India. It's the truth. And this is the truth all over the world. Churches do not engage in discipleship. We must, we cannot assume that discipleship will happen. In most churches, they assume that discipleship will happen. It does not happen. It does not happen. Two or three more comments. Jesus is the, sin is the problem of the world. Jesus is the answer. Discipleship is the deepest process. Sin is the problem of the world. Jesus is the answer. Discipleship is the deepest process towards that goal. Discipleship is a command. It is not an option. People need discipleship and life coaching. People need discipleship and life coaching. Let me give this example of what it means. We must pass on this baton, isn't it? The kingdom of God grows as one person shouts into the ears of another person about the kingdom. And then the kingdom of God grows again over and over and over again. Beautiful example. We had a king many years ago in India. Uh, uh, an Islamic king. His, his name was Akbar. He had a fascinating process of communicating the message. He was son was about to be born. And this message that his son was to be born. Was to be relayed to all his kingdom. To his full kingdom. Imagine in those days no telephones. No megaphones. No internet. No, no email. So what he did was. For every 50 meters one of the soldiers stood and here was the message relayed to all of his kingdom this was their full job the woman was about to deliver the baby Akbar's son was about to be born Akbar one of the biggest kings of the Muslim dynasty here he was to be born and this was the way the message was going to be relayed Akbar's son is born Akbar's son is born Akbar's son is born Went throughout the kingdom the message that Akbar's son was born. You and I have that responsibility as we sit in church to carry on this message of the gospel through, through solid discipleship as we whisper into the ears of young people the kingdom of God will grow. That is how it grows. What is discipleship? It is an intentional, close-up, holistic, nurturing, kingdom-growing-together process. 
You would have heard it from Kasi probably if you are here. Discipleship is an intentional, close-up, holistic, nurturing, kingdom-growing together process. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. And we always ask this question, how can I disciple the next generation? How can I prepare the next generation? What should I be doing? What is my responsibility to nurture the next generation? Let me read you some verses from the Bible. Matthew chapter 10. I will read it. Matthew chapter 10, verse verse, uh, 5 onwards. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely you give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay there in the house until you leave. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you say or how you say it. At that time you will be given what you say. For it will not be you speaking but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 24, the student is not about the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like the teachers and the servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of their household? Verse 26, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even every hair of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will find it. Powerful words, isn't it? Now this is Jesus teaching his disciples on how to live life. He's trained them. He's spoken to them. Matthew 5, 6 and 7. You remember the Sermon on the Mount. He's taught them everything about the Bible. He's taught them how to live their lives. And then after he has taught them to live their lives, he's now sending them away. And as he's sending them away, he gives them the most encouraging words, isn't it? Most encouraging. Don't take anything. There's nothing that you should take. Don't be afraid. You'll be flogged. Man, what encouragement. Don't worry about what you'll speak. 
I was scared sitting here for, for about 25 minutes. I don't know what I'm going to speak. And you tell these guys, go, don't be afraid what you'll speak. As they are about to flog you, I will tell you what to speak. Very encouraging, isn't it? Whoever loves your father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Man, good. Whoever loves their daughter or son more than me, not worthy of me. I don't know what went on to their mind, but they went. The 72 of them went and came back. Jesus trained them. He spoke with them. And then he sends them with this beautiful assurance. I'm with you. And then he talks about the sparrows. Nothing will happen. Not one of your hair will fall to the ground without my knowledge. I am with you. Don't be afraid. Go. You are worth more than the sparrows. Great assurance. Go and do it. Discipleship is not comfortable business. It's not the problem of the church today. The problem of you and me is discipleship has been packaged into a beautiful process. It is not. It is tough. It is difficult. It is difficult. And nobody takes the pain. Nobody takes the effort. Nobody takes the, 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 all the hard work that takes to discipling a person. We still live so comfortably. And here's Jesus talking about everything that is outside of our comfort zones. Outside of our comfort zone. Discipleship will happen when we step out and live outside of our comfort zones. Not within our comfort zones. It's true. We always ask the question, isn't it? Why doesn't discipleship happen? Why is the kingdom of God not growing? Why are people not becoming followers of Christ? Why are not people so deeply committed to the gospel? Ask yourself the question. Are you living inside of your comfort zone and expecting the kingdom of God to grow? It will not, my friend. It will not grow. And I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty. I sometimes live very comfortably within the comfort zones of my life. And I remember the younger days when I was hard working. I remember the days when I sacrificed much more than I'm sacrificing now. I remember the days when I was so zealous for the Lord. I remember the days when I gave up everything. Not now. I think some of us expect the kingdom of God to grow as we live in our comfort zones. Not happen, my friend. Will not happen. Why should we prepare the next generation? Why should we prepare? Good question to ask. The biggest storms for the church are approaching. Theologically, physically, socially, the biggest storms for the church are approaching. I do not know, maybe South Africa is very comfortable, but across the world, I just came from India. I mean, I just come from my nation, from my country. We're going through some of the most difficult times for our churches. Difficult times for our country. We really don't know. There is a law that says if you speak anything against the government, you'll be called an anti-national and arrested. It's difficult. Anti-conversion bill all over our nation. And that can be misused against anybody saying anything. The other day we were talking, the other day we were Oh, we have 650 widows on our program that we serve. Very poor widows. I've been working them for 10 years now. And then these 650 widows are there. We were about to give them some food provisions. And then we were talking about Jesus. And I saw quietly for the first time, I saw one of the widows in her mobile phone. She's videotaping what I'm saying. 
And that could be used against me. They are using conversion methods. Can be used against me. And I watched this woman, nice woman. She's been coming 10 years. But I don't know what happened. She started filming what I was speaking about Christ. It's risky. The biggest storms for the church are approaching. God and church may become irrelevant for majority people in the world. It is already there, isn't it? The coming success culture of the world. The success culture of the world is coming quickly, even in India. Entertainment culture is coming through. Proper theology will take a back seat. Proper theology will take a back seat. Morality is taking a huge beating. Morality is taking a huge beating. That's why discipleship. That's why if I don't disciple young people, that if, if I don't disciple a group of young people now who will disciple others, who will disciple others, we will not carry the kingdom DNA. We will not carry it. So what was Jesus' model? He called and chose men. Brilliant is it, as you look at the life of Christ, I often ask myself this question. Did Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, did he have to choose 12 people? I don't know why. I've never got an answer for that. Why did he do that? Why would he have to choose 12 people? Why did he have to choose 72 people? Why should he invest in them? Why? Why? And maybe 2,000 years later we understand that because the kingdom of God grows as we speak gospel and disciple people one by one. Maybe that's why Jesus knew that he had to disciple people. He called and chose them. He lived among them. He lived among them. Ask yourself the question, if you're a serious Christian, if you're a serious Christian and you're discipling some people, have you lived among them? I'm not speaking in the literal sense. But how much have you lived among them? Jesus lived among them. He took them along with him. He took them along and he many times showed. And as he was preaching, they listened to him. As he did his miracles, they were close by. They watched him. Discipleship is that. You take people with you. He taught them. He told them the cost of discipleship. You will be flogged. Great. I don't know if all the 12 guys would dwell. Hallelujah. Man, I'm going to be flogged. He empowered them and he sent them. He empowered them and sent them. What should we do? We are coming to close to about 10 to 15 minutes now. What should we do? Good. Okay. The first one. Now is story time. So we're going to do some stories. It's really good. What should we do to disciple the next generation? Number one. Pray and ask God to fill us with a passion for the lost people of the world. Pray and ask God. You know what? We do church very well. All over the world, church is fantastic. But I do not know if people inside the church are praying, God, fill me with a passion for the lost people of the world. How many? How many people? We are fantastic in programs. We are fantastic in delivering initiatives. Great stuff. But do we really have a passion for the lost people of the world? Do we really cry? Does our heart ever cry for the lost people of the world? I do not know because been a year since I came, so maybe some of it, what I shared, you already heard, but let me say it again. Just hoping that you did, I did not say it before. There's uh, uh, Campus Crusade, 
college with athletes in action campus crusade there's a beautiful story that i heard i will never forget it in my life they were showing the jesus film some of, many of you know the jesus film their ministry was to show the jesus film that, that campus crusade one of their ministries is to show the jesus film in all the rural parts all over the world they were showing it i don't know if they show it still but it was great now they're showing it in 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 afghanistan they're showing the film in afghanistan so the guys were carrying the film they were carrying the film from village to village one village they were carrying it in and they were going to show the film and then the next night as they were going to show the film an old village guy a muslim guy was walking and he walked and he was close to the village as he was nearing the village he saw he crossed a little small bridge and as he crossed that bridge he saw a man sitting down and crying and he was crying and he was weeping and he was crying and he was weeping that man on the street true story so the man crosses this guy and he asks why are you crying this man says no i cry so much for people i cry so much for people i cry so much for people for my people i cry for my people the villager never understood because he's a muslim he did not understand and he keeps walking he goes to the village the next day they show the jesus film everything is going on the film is going on it's been about 20 minutes 30 minutes he's been watching and he comes to a time in the film where only the picture of jesus christ is on the full screen only the picture of jesus christ and as this village guy sees the picture of jesus on that he shouts out to the crowd and says stop now and everybody is stunned why he keeps shouting stop it stop it stop it so they stop the film only the picture of jesus christ and this village guy says who is this can somebody tell me who this man is can somebody tell me who this man is and they looked at him and says don't you know He is Jesus Christ the savior of the world Jesus Christ is the savior of the world who Jesus Christ the savior of the world I saw this man last night I saw this man last night as I was walking to the village I crossed a little bridge and I saw a man crying and I asked him why are you crying and he said I'm crying for my people and he's the same man there It's a true story Have you got a heart for the people lost people of the world? That's a heart cry. That's a heart cry. Are we crying? I think many times we do ministry without one bit of sorrow or pain in our heart. Zero pain. Zero sorrow for the lost people of the world. And I think we will become brilliant disciple makers the moment we feel the pain of a person spending eternity in hell otherwise we would have lost it so a man a man was excited about this he was 75 he became a christian late i think he was about 75 and he started sharing about christ two of them were i don't know the, the details of the story of foggy but many of our guys know it the details of foggy but here's it two people meet in a hotel room and so they asked the story to each other how did you become a christian and one of them says this was in australia i think uh, no this was somewhere in one part of the world so i won't name it foggy uh, where did you where did you how did you become a christian you know what i went to australia i was in australia i was in sydney and i went to this big street i forget the name it's one of the most famous streets maybe it's a broad street or whatever he went to that street and as i was walking on the street 
an old man stopped me and he asked me the question, do you know where you will go if you die tonight? That question shook me. I tried to find life and I met Jesus Christ. Amazing story. So this pastor who was in that room goes to another part of the world, New Zealand. He wanted to play golf or something like that. He's roommate with somebody else. And they start talking and he asked the question, how did you, are you a Christian? He said, yes. How did you become a Christian? It's crazy. I was in Australia. I was in Sydney. I walked this broad street and an old gentleman asked me the question, do you know where you will go if you die tonight? The question shook me. I bought a New Testament and I found Jesus Christ. The man goes to Africa, the pastor goes to Africa for some other conference and he asks his roommate, how did you become a Christian? He said, it's crazy, I went to Australia, I was in Sydney. (laughs) I went to this broad street and an old gentleman asked me the question, do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? I met a pastor and I became a Christian. The man was curious now. I met already three or four people who become Christians through this guy. So I must go and meet him. So he went went to Sydney. Went to the broad street around the same time. Tried to look for him, couldn't find him. So he went to a little church on that street and said, Do you know this guy who asked people this question? Do you know where you go if you die tonight? And that man, the pastor said, Oh, yes, you talk about Frank. He used to do it, doesn't do it anymore. Okay, where is Frank? He now has gone back to his village. Okay, can you give me the address? Yes, sir. So he goes to that little village, taps on the door, comes an old man, and here he is. So can I meet Frank? I am Frank. Frank, how old are you? 80. Are you the one who asked the question, do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? He said, yes, I did it for five years. From 75 years to 80 years, I did it. So you don't do it? I don't do because nobody became a Christian. Nobody became a Christian. And then he said, uh, this man was curious. He said, many people became Christian because of that question. Oh, I'm happy, he said. So the pastor was curious. He took this to Oxford and said, will you do a research on this man? They did a research. 133,000 people became a Christian because of that one question. Do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? You know what drove him? Passion for people who are lost. There's only one passion. Do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? Do I have that passion in my life that I will ask people this question or tell them, doesn't matter if they receive it or not, but do I have a passion for the lost people of the world? Sometimes we can create churches, we can create organizations, we can create movements, do not have the heart and pain of the world when people are rushing towards hell. We don't have that pain. And we'll be great institutions, fascinating movements, but no heart. Discipleship begins when you feel the pain in your heart for the lost people of the world. Second one. Pray that God will... How far? We have ten? Gracious. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Pray that God will help us to make long-term commitment to disciple making. Pray and ask God to help us to make long-term commitment, not short-term. I like this, you know... what I, I like much of the Western world. I come from India. I like much of the Western world. What I don't like about the Western world is this. Let me give it to you. I make short-term commitments. Right? Short-term commitments. How many years? Two years? To what? Discipleship? Two years? Five years I give my time. Man, it's a lifetime process. Discipleship is lifetime. You don't give two years of your time for life. Discipleship, it's life. 
This is what you are called to. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It is not for a short term. It is a lifelong process. So we must pray to God and say, God, for life, I am here. I want to make disciples. Pray that God will help us to make long-term commitment to disciple making. Many years ago, our daughter, and I think I've shared this, our daughter was dying. Sorry for using a couple of personal examples. I hope you will be fine with that. My uh, daughter was about 18 days after she was born. She's about to die. Now that it happened to be a Friday night, we birthed the sport ministry in India. We birthed the sport ministry. This was 30, 33 years ago. We birthed the sport ministry. And a group of us whom I was discipling were meeting every Friday. We still meet after 33 years. We still meet every Friday as a sport ministry group. So this was, they were meeting together. And as I was in the hospital, my daughter was in the last stages of her life. She's only 18 days old. She's about to die. And my wife is broken and I'm broken and I'm standing in the hospital. It's about 7 in the evening and I'm telling Grace, Grace, I know our daughter's dying. But at 7.30 our meeting starts. We must go and show people that we are serious about discipleship. Serious about Christian ministry. And at 7 o'clock, I remember we took on the two-wheeler. Me and my wife rode about 20 minutes away. We went to the group. They were praying. We spent about 20 minutes with them. Asked them to pray for us. Showed them that we are committed to lifelong discipleship. And then came back. That night she passed away. But we had demonstrated once and for all that discipleship is a lifelong process. When you invest in the lives of people. Pray that God will help us to make long-term commitment to disciple making. Three, live out the gospel so many will want to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Live out the gospel. Hey, today you know what the problem is that we do not live out. We speak well. We don't live out the gospel. Billy Graham is one such person who, who people want to follow. Everybody wants to be like Billy Graham. So they asked his, his son. They asked his some uh, so, Samaritan's person. What's his name? I forget. Franklin Graham. So they asked Franklin Graham, what do you think of your dad? What do you think? Good man? He said, you know what? The man that you see on the pulpit is the man that I see at home. No difference. He's the same man. He's the same man. My wife is here and I can tell you this. She will tell me, you speak well, my friend. At home, you're not the same. She will tell me straight, you're not the same. You speak well. Live well. And I have often have to go to a corner in my house, sit down and cry because I'm not that person. I struggle. I struggle. When will discipleship be fantastic? When generations will be discipled? When we live out the gospel. Wherever we are. When we live out the gospel, we will be really, really good. Live to leave a legacy. Fourth one, live to leave a legacy of discipleship. Live to leave a legacy of discipleship. In our, in our training in the ISLS, International Sports Leadership School, we have, we have been training and teaching and I've talked about this. And wherever I go, I speak about David Livingston. All of you know the story? Isn't it? Everybody knows the story. But it's worth telling again and again. The, especially the last part of gave his life best doctor they asked him where are you going he said South Africa I'm, I'm going to Africa and they told him you, do you know that Africa is, is a terrible place he said yes I know do you know that there are no roads yes I know do you know there are no houses yes I know do you know there is no water yes I know there is no toilets yes I know there is disease yes I know are you still going yes I'm going and he came 
and he went to Africa and he said this. He lived in a little hut. They said in one of his biographies. I read this and he lives in this little hut. Praying for Africa all his life. And on the last day before he died, he was on his knees praying about 10 o'clock in the night. And somebody comes up and says, we need the doctor to come and come and take care of somebody. And his assistant standing there said, don't disturb him. He's on his knees praying. They look out of a little window and they saw David Livingston praying on his knees in a little hut in Africa. They said, don't disturb him. He comes back two hours later and said, we need him now. They look out of the window. He's still praying at 12 o'clock. At 2 o'clock they come back, he's still on his knees praying. They look out of the window, 2 o'clock he's still praying. At 5 in the morning they said, it's desperate. The person is dying, we need David Livingston. They open the door, break open, go inside and then they touch his shoulders. He dies on his knees for praying for Africa. Whole life. So they said, we want, and they said they decided to take his body back to England or something. They said, we have to carry the body 3 months before we reach the closest port. And when you carry a body, dead body for three months, only the bones arrive. So they said this. We want this. He lived, he prayed, and he discipled Africa. We want this. Please allow us to take his heart out and bury it right in this little heart before you take away all the bones and his body. So they took his heart out. They cut it open. They buried the heart there. And then they took the bones away. Even today, his heart has been buried in Africa. Why? Because he lived to leave a legacy of discipleship. Just this morning we were talking. Burkina Faso Baba is here. I met many people from Africa in our international sports leadership school. They know where the origin is. One, one man decided. One man decided from England, the best doctor probably. He decided that I will go to Africa for the sake of the gospel. I will make disciples in Africa. So that the nation of Africa, the continent of Africa can follow Jesus Christ. One of the pioneers of the gospel of disciple making in Africa. Live to leave a legacy. Pray and prepare for the challenges of disciple making. Pray and prepare for the talent. You will not have space, which you like so much. You will not have your time. You will not have energy. You will have your finances gone. And you will have your emotions damaged. Are you ready for it? I remember as we started our discipleship process in our little home. 33 years ago, I still remember this. And sorry for this personal example. 33 years ago, as we started our small disciple, there were about 10 of us that I disciple. Ten people that from Friday evening, four o'clock, all the way until Sunday, eight o'clock, they would be in our house all the time. Eight people. For the very first time, we were pioneering sport ministry in Chennai, which then blossomed to India, which then blossomed all over Asia. For the first time we ever had, 33 years ago, I think, in our room, Grace had no idea about discipleship. She had no idea about sport ministry. But she was such a fantastic wife that right there, 33 years ago, every Friday night, Saturday night until Sunday, 10 or 12 of the sport ministry's first disciples stayed in our house to the extent that in our own small 10 by 10 bedroom, we were 12 people sleeping every night. Your space is gone. Your time is gone. Your energy is gone. And this happened for 10 years. For 10 years. Every Friday night. Every Saturday night. Grace cooking food. Spending time with them. So that the kingdom of God will grow in the world of sport. I think that's what it is. Pray and prepare for the challenges of disciple making. You will lose your time. 
You will lose your space. You will lose your energy. You will lose your finances. But are you ready for the sake of the kingdom of God? We've said a lot, isn't it? Last one. Pray that you will never be afraid to challenge young people to be disciples of Christ. Pray. You know, today we live in a world where we're afraid to challenge young people. Jesus was never afraid. Luke chapter 9, 57 to 62, he meets three people. The first one, he says, come and follow me. And he says, I love what you're doing, Jesus. I love what you're doing. This is fantastic. Your teaching is great. I've never heard anybody with such wisdom. I love it. I listen. I've I've seen your miracles. I love it. It looks like this is the best life that I want to live. That I want to live. And Jesus, and this man looked at Jesus and said, can I follow you? Can I follow you? This young man said, can I follow you? Luke chapter 9, 57. And Jesus looks at him and says, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. My friend, are you willing to come with me? I'm sure the guy walked away. Don't know. Bible does not tell much. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay your head. Are you willing to become a disciple? He was not afraid to challenge young people. Come with me. When he saw Peter at the shores, he said, Peter, follow me. I know you're a great businessman. I know you're a great fisherman. I know you've done well in life. You are super. I know, Peter. I know that. But I challenge you. Follow me and I will make you fishers of life. Fishers of men. Follow me and I will give you a purpose for your life. Follow me and I will give you the calling of your life. You will love it. He was not afraid to challenge Peter. And Peter, beautifully, just like the... I mean, I wish we were all idiots like Peter. He said, just threw his net and he said, Jeremiah, I'm following you. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He was not afraid to challenge young people. And then another guy, Jesus, looks at him and he says, wow, this guy looks beautiful. This guy looks ripe for ministry. I must call him. So he says, will you follow me? Same Luke chapter 9, same verses in the 57, 58, 59, 60. He says, will you follow me? And he says to him, you know what? I have a father who's about to die. The Jewish custom, the eldest boy always buried the father and then he took up major responsibilities. So he told him, you know, let me bury my dead father and come back. After he's gone, I'll come and follow you. It's a, it's a nice phrase we have in India. I don't know if you have. The guys will come back and say, I have a friend of mine. I've tracked him from about 27, 28 years old. He told me about 15, 20 years ago, he told me, Paul, pray that I will go full time into ministry for God. Pray. This was about 20 years ago. I got a call for him about 10 days ago. He told me the same thing. Pray that I will go to full time ministry. I said, no use not praying now. Just do what you want. What's the point for 20 years you've been praying? Just go, man. Just go. You've been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for 20 years to go for sport ministry, full-time ministry. Forget it. So here's the guy who said, let me bury my dead father. And in our country, it's great. I have only five years in our country. I have five years to retire. Then I will get a pension. Then I will get my full time I will give for God. Forget it, man. We don't need you. You see her that? I must establish my business. I must establish my everything before I come. Never happens like that in the kingdom of God. 
In fact, he has a better plan than that for you. So the man said, let me bury my dead father and come. And he said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. I had great father-in-law and a great father. My father-in-law told me, you will not go to full-time ministry because I gave my daughter in marriage to you because of your job. Good man. Good man. My father was even better. Good Christian. But he looked at me and says, over my dead body, you will go to full-time ministry. So I had to tell him, Dad, if you have to go, you have to go. <laughs> Seriously, I told him that. If you have to go, you have to go. I'm going. I'm glad I did it about 20 years ago. I'm glad I did it. Late, but I did it. And I'm served the Lord. Let the dead bury the dead. Some of us like that, isn't it? Jesus would look at us and say, if you're, those who are spiritually dead will talk like this. Let me bury my father spiritually dead. While the kingdom of God needs you. Let the dead bury the dead. The last man. And Jesus is excited. And he's excited. And he says, looks at this man. And he says, oh man, follow me. And he says, no, let me go say goodbye to my family and come. Remember? Let me go and say goodbye to my family and come back. Wow. Jesus looks at him and says, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Thank you God for encouragement. Many of us like that, isn't it? God, I want to come, but I want to serve you lifelong discipleship, but I need my space. I want to do lifelong, lifelong discipleship, but my energy will go. My weekends are gone. Forget it. The kingdom of God is more important than all that you're doing. Needs you now. Needs you now. It is not for your life. It is for the sake of the kingdom of God. It is not my life. It is for the sake of the kingdom of God that we must say, he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. God, I've, I've kind of burnt my equipment. I don't have any equipment anymore. I can't go back. I've, I've burnt my fishing nets. It's gone. Everything is gone. I don't have anything more. Elijah calls Elisha. Elisha, you are to be the prophet in Israel. Elisha says, let me go and say goodbye to my family. Elijah says, what have I done to you? Man, I'm calling you to be the prophet in Israel. And you're saying you want to say goodbye? Forget it, Elisha. Immediately, Elisha realizes that. And he goes back to the farm. He cuts the bulls. He cuts the farm equipment. Makes a fire. Burns them. Offers sacrifice. And he tells Elijah, no, I'm ready. Let's go. I don't have anything to come back now. My farm equipment is gone. He who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What encouragement. May God bless us that we will be serious disciple makers just for the sake of the kingdom of God. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.